Hey, thank you for listening. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? I have over 130 different videos. I have videos with more scary stories told in the rain, scary stories by a crackling fire, and I also have videos that are less relaxing and more on the scary side. Go check it out, and please don't forget to subscribe. In the YouTube search bar, just type being scared. All right. Catch you later. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This happened a few years ago when I first got my driver's license. I was driving to the country for a friend's birthday. I had worked late, and I had left home for the four-hour drive by myself at seven at night, since all my friends had left before. But I really wanted to be there, so I didn't mind. The area I was driving through was quiet, sparsely populated farm area. It was known to have a few weirdos around, but nothing serious. Either way, I wasn't worried when I set off. I had been driving for ages, just listening to music and zoning out, and I had found myself on a road called Buckets Lane, an 80-kilometer stretch of road that is mostly straight and was absolutely empty at this time of night. At some point, I took notice of headlights in my rearview mirror. It was the first car I had seen in a long time, and although it seemed a long way behind me, it started to catch me fast. I was driving my 20-year-old Ford wagon and was driving about 70 miles per hour, but this guy was coming up really quick. Soon after I saw the car, I started to hear the faint noises of intermittent honking that grew louder and louder as he got closer. He was honking from a huge distance away for no apparent reason. I was alone. I didn't even have phone reception. It gave me a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. I had a strong feeling that this person wanted to mess with me. After a while, this car finally pulled right up on me. I could see that it looked like a black pickup with two people inside. And before I knew it, he was tailgating me and still honking repeatedly. I freaked out. I was trying to wave him around me, but he wouldn't go. I didn't want to slow down, but I couldn't outrun him, so I was sort of stuck. At this point, he started flashing his high beams, which made it really hard to see. And then, he started hitting my rear bumper, really smashing it. I was trying to keep myself together enough to keep my car on the road, but I was dealing with the bumping, the high beams, and the honking that was driving me insane. All this was happening around 70 miles per hour, and eventually, something had to give. I swerved off the road, luckily into an open field, and slammed on my brakes. The car did a full 180 degree turn, and I slid backwards into a small ditch. I checked myself quickly, made sure that I was all in one piece. The car miraculously wasn't damaged, and I hadn't really crashed, so I was fine.
I then looked up to look for the truck. It had kept driving, but it was slowing down, and then eventually turned around, drove slowly towards me, and started honking again. I panicked big time. I put the car in reverse for some reason and slammed down on the accelerator. Big mistake. I just dug the car into the soft grass. The truck was driving into the field towards me. At this point, I realized that this person was potentially dangerous. Before, it could have been just someone playing a stupid prank. But now they had run me off the road and were coming back, still honking the horn, obviously not coming to see if I was alright. They pulled up close to me, probably 20 meters away, and were shining their high beams on me, so I couldn't see a thing. I was still trying to reverse out of this ditch like a moron, and finally decided to put it back in drive. By this point, the honking had stopped, and someone had stepped out of the driver's side door. This person was short and fat, but all I could see was their silhouette, and this silhouette was now walking towards my trapped car. I took a few deep breaths. I was shaking and terrified, and slowly eased the pedal. The car was moving, but my wheels were spinning, and I didn't know if I would make it out. The person moved faster now, and got to my door. I locked it just in time when they pulled the handle, so he then started knocking on the window. He did not bash it, he just tapped on it, really calm and very slowly. I begged my car to move and finally it did. I got some traction and got back onto the road and just floored it. The honking started again and pretty soon I saw the truck was racing to catch up with me. Finally a car came in the opposite direction. I flagged them down by flashing my high beams and this middle-aged woman got out of the car. I was hysterical, but once I stopped, I saw in the distance the lights of the black truck stopped, turned around, and zoomed off in the other direction. Thank God for this woman. She calmed me down and took me to the police station. I gave a statement and everything, but I didn't really see anything but a short fat silhouette and a black truck. So no help there. No one was ever caught, and the sounds of a honking horn will never sound the same again, and always sends a shiver down my spine. This happened circa 1971 or 1972, when my mother was about 14 or 15 years old. The incident occurred in a heavily wooded area near Alabama, close to Birmingham. My mother is the oldest of five children. She has three sisters and a brother. One weekend in the cooler months of the fall, my grandfather decided to take my whole family, my grandmother, my mother, and all of my aunts and uncles, seven people total, into the woods for target practice with a rifle. My mother grew up quite poor, and they didn't always live in the best neighborhood. So my grandfather wanted to teach the kids how to defend themselves with the rifle if they would ever need to. Like I said, it was later in the fall, so the trees were bare, and there were lots of leaves on the ground. The wooded area was just off of a dirt road, 
so this was a fairly rural area that they were in. Since it was so far off the beaten path, my grandfather became startled when he heard the roar of a car engine so deep in the woods. My mom remembers the car as being a blue Ford Galaxy. Despite the fact that my grandfather had a gun, he totally freaked out and told my grandma and the kids to hide in the woods. The man in the driver's seat of the blue Ford Galaxy dragged a woman's body out of the car and just dumped her there in the woods and drove away. After my grandfather was sure that the man had gone, everyone came out of hiding and the woman sat up and stared them straight in the face. My grandfather asked the woman if she needed help. She said no, that she would be fine. She didn't seem to be injured and obviously didn't want help. She hadn't put up a fight with the man when he was dragging her out of the car, so she must have known him. So my grandfather cut the shooting lesson short and decided to rush his family home to safety. On the trail back to the dirt road where my grandfather had parked their car, they passed the man in the blue Ford Galaxy driving out of the woods. My mom looked over and noticed that he had a huge machete laying across the front seats right beside him. My grandfather made sure that the man could see that he had a rifle, but everyone was careful not to give away what they had just seen. The man struck up small talk with my grandfather, asking him how he was doing and what they were doing out in the woods. My grandfather explained that he had just taken his family out for some target practice with the rifle. The man told him to have a nice day and continued driving. The next day, my grandfather went back out to the spot in the woods. There was not a body there. However, he did find the woman's wig, her purse, some Kleenex, and a pair of eyeglasses. He collected the items and took them home. According to my grandfather, that area of the woods was known for having shallow graves and being a dumping site for bodies. My mother became hysterical when he walked in the door carrying that stuff. She started screaming. He killed that lady. He killed that lady. My grandfather ended up taking the items to the police station, but my mom doesn't think anything ever came of it. She never heard anything else about it after that. Well, she did hear one thing. Early the next morning, my grandmother called my mom when she arrived to work, just before my mother and her siblings left for school. My grandmother told my mother to not take the bus that day, that she would come home and pick them up, and then drive them all to school. When my mom asked why, my grandmother said, because there's a blue Ford Galaxy parked at the bus stop. I went on my hike today a little later than usual, starting up the mountain at about 6.30. I had gotten off work a bit later than usual, but that hadn't discouraged me from going on my hike. I love nature. I view my hikes as blessings, as opportunities to really take in the beauty that this world offers. I began the usual route, left at the giant rock and continuing straight for a while before making another left at the large oak. However, when I reached the oak, there was caution tape stretched from another tree to the oak, effectively blocking off the path so that you were forced to make a right. 
I had never taken a right at the oak tree, and I did not want to today either. I am not familiar with the path, and I may get lost. That thought process is what led me to disregard the caution tape and proceed left anyway. It was then already rounding seven o'clock. The sun was setting, and I had experience hiking in the darkness and did not hesitate in continuing on my hike. Besides, I always bring my lighter and Swiss Army pocket knife whenever hiking, so I was not all that nervous. I started up the left of the oak and marveled at the gorgeous vegetation that I was surrounded by. The wildflowers, the trees with their blossoming branches, and the insects scuttling around. I was in heaven. As I continued on the trail, I approached an unfamiliar scene. This trail normally continues up and up the mountain to its highest point. One way up, one way down. However, as I looked ahead, I saw a fork in the trail, one way leading left, the other leading right. I had never before seen these two paths. Faced with a decision I was unfamiliar with, I could not decide whether to go right or left. I was not ready to end my hike, so I just decided to make it easy and go right. That was probably one of the biggest mistakes I have ever made. I should have turned back at the caution tape. After maybe a minute of walking on this stray trail, I saw something coming up on the path. As I neared the object, I noticed it was a compass. However, there was what appeared to be blood splattered on the glass casing along with many scratches. The needles were going back and forth as if running out of control. Instead of turning back, I picked up the compass and placed it in my sweatshirt pocket. I continued on the trail, with nothing worth mentioning appearing for about 15 minutes. Then I saw it. Up ahead in the distance, I saw what appeared to be a golf cart with a large yellow bucket next to it. I came closer and closer and realized how incorrect I actually was. I can now say that it was a poorly put together shelter, presumably housing a homeless person. When I passed the shelter, I got a good look on the inside. I saw a few scattered sheets of paper, a candle, what looked like some roots, and a few poorly made small brown dolls. I had no interest in exploring the small shack and continued on my hike. Twenty minutes go by. I am nearing the top of the mountain. The sun had set, but it was still slightly bright enough outside to see. I reach the top of the mountain and relish the view. I can see the entire city with a 360 degree view of all of it. Nature is beautiful. I'm getting ready to make my way down and back to the bottom to my car. And then I see him. A man with a thick brownish gray beard, slightly balding and a little bit overweight. He is visibly shaking and mumbling to himself. I assume that this is the homeless guy which lives in the shack that I had come across. Not wanting any trouble, I attempt to pass him, making no eye contact and looking directly down towards the ground. But when we are directly next to each other, he reaches out and grabs me. Looking directly into my eyes, his eyes are crazy and bloodshot.
His lips are quivering as he makes out a few words. Return what is not yours. He then reaches into my sweatshirt pocket and grabs the compass that I had picked up along my hike. I reach for my pocket knife, only to find that it is not there. I pull out my lighter and stupidly flash it at him like it's some sort of deadly weapon. He frowns at me, loosens his grip, and begins yelling nonsense at the sky. I sprint, not not run, sprint, as fast as I while maintaining safety. I run past the two stray trails, past the caution tape and big oak tree, past the large rock, and finally reach the foot of the mountain. Reaching into my pocket, I grab for my car key and find that it is missing. In heavy panic, I start freaking out. I'm not going to go back to the mountains, but I don't have my keys. I decide just to go to my car and call AAA or something. When I reach the car door, I notice something. My car keys are inserted into the slot on the handle. On the ground, my pocket knife lays, undamaged and, and intact. What was written on the window scared the hell out of me. It was carved into the glass. I return what is not mine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was in Puerto Rico for vacation. About half a block from the house I was staying, I see someone on the other side of the street looking through a car. I didn't think much of it since he had the door open. I assumed it was his car, nothing suspicious, and kept walking. I was maybe a half block past him when I glanced back and noticed that he was standing next to the car, curbside, and he, se and he seemed to be staring at me. He was wearing a white shirt, so even though he was in the shadows, I could still see him. It seemed a bit creepy, but I figured that he probably lived there and just didn't recognize me and was seeing what I was up to. I kept walking and made my way down to the beach about another block and a half away. There was a small patch of some old grass, just before some rocks, and then the beach. I stopped on the grass. I wasn't wearing shoes and it felt nice on my feet, and stood under the palm trees for a moment sipping my beer, just kind of looking around, taking it all in. That's when I happened to glance back the way that I came again and notice a man in a white shirt standing near the end of the street. I stood there for a moment, trying not to let him know that I had seen him or that I was feeling uneasy at his presence in any way, and he just stood there as well. I was sure it must be the same man, as I hadn't seen anyone else on the street on my walk down. I continued to sip my beer, and he continued standing at the corner. He was standing completely out in the open, but it just seemed odd that he was just standing there. 
I didn't really want to look directly at him, so I couldn't really tell what he was doing. At this point, I was becoming fairly uneasy. I have never been worried about walking around at night, but I had never been in a place quite like this, either. The road that ran along the beach had a few streetlights. The nearest one was just up the beach a bit, so I decided to make my way towards it, in hopes that whatever this guy was up to, it had nothing to do with me. I walked back to the sidewalk, as I figured it was better to stay where it was somewhat lit, and made my way over to the streetlight, all the while trying not to let on that I am aware of this man's presence, and getting a bit freaked out. I got to the streetlight and stopped. I took out my cell phone to try and seem as casual as I could, and glanced around and didn't see him anymore. I breathed a sigh of relief, and figured that I had just been freaking myself out for no reason, and decided to call my girlfriend to tell her what had happened, and that I was on my way back. I called her and started walking back towards our street, telling her about the guy creeping on me, and then I see him. At the end of the street there was an abandoned house. It had no roof, doors, or windows just walls, and I could clearly see that the man was standing in the doorway. I stopped in my tracks. Oh, crap. He's still here, I said. He was far enough away that he couldn't hear me, but when I stopped, I saw him take a step back into the dark house so I could no longer see him. At this point, my girlfriend was getting freaked out as well so I turned around and started heading back towards the streetlight. There was another street up just a bit, and I figured I could take that and loop back around to the house. I tried to walk as normally as possible, as to not let on that I was scared. When I got to the corner, I turned left and looked back, and I could see that the man was now coming down the sidewalk towards me. He didn't appear to be running, but he must have been walking quickly because he had definitely gained some ground on me. I turned the corner, and once I was behind a house and out of sight, I told my girlfriend that I was hanging up, and that I was going to run. I ran as fast as I could, and did not look back. Of course, unbeknownst to me, one of the houses on this street had some rather large dogs, which, once aware of a person running by in the dark, began to bark wildly, scaring me even more. I made it back to the house unlocked the gate and quickly locked it behind me. I looked around to see if anyone had seen me, but there was no one in sight. My girlfriend was pretty freaked out, so we locked the doors and shut the blinds and called it a night. I didn't have any more run-ins with any late-night creepers the rest of the time we were there, and all in all, we ended up having a great vacation. It still gives me a little chill recounting this story, though. I have no idea what that man had planned if he had caught up to me, but something inside me says it would not have been pleasant. I beg you, I implore you, please, do not go hiking in the woods around Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I know those woods like the back of my hand. I was playing with my little brother among those trees when I was still in single-digit ages, so trust me when I say that something has been changing out there, and not for the better. 
I first noticed something was horribly wrong during a hike a few weeks back. In early spring, birds migrate back from the warmer, southern climates to their northern territories in mass. Thousands upon thousands of tiny songbirds occupy the trees around Mount Greylock during the month of March, each singing a sweet, chirpy song that is, in reality, a bellowed war cry, a call for challengers to step up and knock them off their perch. Yet as I trudged through the previous winter's leaf litter, I couldn't hear a single thing. No birds, or any other animals for that matter, seemed to still call the forest home. This made me nervous for two reasons. One, animals have an uncanny ability to detect dangers that are imperceptible to humans. Their sense of smell and hearing are far superior to our own. If the wildlife had fled the area in such a hurry, or at least refused to return, that could mean something awful was about to happen. And two, areas of woodland turned exceptionally quiet when there is a large predator around. Wood pigeons will become deathly quiet and still, hoping that a black bear or mountain lion will just pass them by. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But either way, it would be hideously unsafe of me to wander around while one was prowling the area. So naturally, I started making my way back towards my car, when something real peculiar happened. I feel I should remind you at this point that I had been playing in the woods around Mount Greylock since I was like seven or eight years old. It's pretty far from where our family lived when I was a kid, but thanks to our bikes, we had a pretty large area to roam when it came to those long summer breaks. Point being, I know those woods really well, but some way, somehow, I managed to get lost. It first came to my attention that I had managed to get myself turned around when I felt my head begin to throb with a dull ache. I stopped walking for a moment, rubbing my eyes and the bridge of my nose to try and massage away the ache. But when I opened my eyes again and looked around, I felt a faint flash of panic running through me. I did not recognize my surroundings, and I cannot understate how jarring that was for me. To be somewhere I had been visiting all my life, only for it to feel utterly foreign to me. I actually had to take a moment to take out my compass just to try and get a bearing of where I was headed. But to my surprise, the compass needle kept slowly moving around. Even when I had got it to sit still on a supposed bearing, it slowly began creeping around again. Now, this was much less of a problem than it might appear. Sure, it was unnerving, but there are ways around a faulty compass. Like, for one, moss mostly grows on the north side of a tree, the side that gets the most sunlight. So that provided an easy way of determining which way was north. At least, it usually would, because as I inspected various tree trunks, I realized the sun was hanging in the southern portion of the sky. That, where the moss in the area grew mostly on the south section of the tree trunks. I get that it's not entirely out of the question, but that was yet another detail that just seemed to fry my brain. Nothing made sense, and the less that it did, the more the feeling of pure panic began to bubble up in my chest. But to panic in that situation, in any kind of situation, 
is to welcome defeat, degradation, and death. I kept myself calm, told myself that there was a rational explanation for everything that was occurring, and walked off in the direction I was almost sure the nearest highway was. It was then that I came across something I had never, ever seen in those woods before. Something that seemed so out of place that it was frankly terrifying. In all the years I had spent roaming those woods with my brother as a kid, I had never seen anything like the old, run-down cabin that stood before me. And I mean it was old, as in there was no way it could have been built any later than the 70s. So just how me and my brother had missed this place was utterly beyond me. The obvious thing to do was to knock on the cabin door, see if anyone was home, and as much as I might find it humiliating, ask for directions. But as I walked closer and closer towards the rustic front door, I felt the most unusual sensation. I put it down to general tiredness. Maybe my blood sugar was low. I'm not entirely sure, but for whatever reason, each footstep that took me closer to the cabin seemed more and more difficult. By the time I was actually bringing a closed fist up to knock on that old wooden door, it felt like something was physically repelling me from it, whispering directly into my brain, leave this place and never return. Do not look back. Never look back. When I finally knocked, the door creaked open slightly, revealing the dilapidation behind it. Whatever bolts or locks that were on the door had long since been worn away, and the inside of the cabin was just as run down and rotten as the outside. It was evidently abandoned, but there was a curious order to the furniture that led me to believe that every so often, the cabin did actually receive some visitors aside from me. But something in the corner of the cabin drew my attention. What I'm about to attempt to describe is, quite frankly, indescribable. I know it was a wooden idol of some kind. A small statuette sat atop of a stone altar. But, and I, and I appreciate that this is intensely confusing to visualize, I could not make sense of what I was looking at. It was like my brain was completely incapable of computing the information my eyes were feeding it. And with that, my headache returned again, along with a kind of anxiety so crushing that I felt like I was going to have a panic attack. Don't ask me how I know, but that wooden idol, a mess of twigs and vines and moss, was a representation of pure, unfiltered evil and I ran from it. I'm not in the least bit ashamed to admit that I ran like a scared child from that cabin. I ran until I found the highway, ran until I found my car, and drove like a madman until I was safely back at home. I haven't been able to bring myself to talk about what happened to me that day, until now. I tried to tell a hunting buddy of mine once, but the words just wouldn't seem to come out. But please, if you're listening to this, heed my warning and do not go hiking in the woods near Pittsfield, Massachusetts.
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Back in May of 2012, when I was in my senior year of high school, my school joined up with another school for a trip to the UK. It was honestly the adventure of a lifetime, but there was one night in Scotland that I cannot explain, and I will certainly never forget. We had worked our way through England and into Scotland, and were venturing north into the Scottish Highlands, where we would be spending a few days before returning south to Glasgow to catch our flight back to Canada. It was really nice to be up there, as up until this point on the trip, we had been mostly exploring bustling cities and doing all the usual tourist activities of the UK, so it was nice to spend a few days just relaxing and taking in the natural beauty of northern Scotland. The place that our tour guide had picked out for us to stay was perfect. It was a resort in this beautiful valley which housed one of the many lakes in the area. Being the off-season, we pretty much had the place to ourselves, and when we weren't out exploring the surrounding countryside, we would be playing soccer in the large field a little ways from the main hotel building, or sitting around the fire pit talking about stupid teenager stuff. There was a girl from the other school that I had my eye on ever since the trip began. Her name was Brooklyn. She was a tall brunette with gorgeous eyes. Pretty much the most beautiful girl 17-year-old me had ever seen. I really hadn't been able to get close to her yet, as when we split off into groups for the day trips, her and I never seemed to end up in the same one. Now that we were on a less structured schedule, I figured this was my chance to get to know her. At first, I tried the direct approach by sitting down next to her around the fire the first night and introducing myself. She said hi, but quickly just blew me off and went back to talking with her friends. Somewhat defeated, I got up to go grab something from my room and rethink my strategy. I don't consider myself to be a terrible looking guy, but compared to Brooklyn, I may as well have been Gollum from Lord of the Rings, so I knew I'd have to try extra hard to impress her. I was suddenly snapped out of my trance with her as I heard a shrieking sound out the window of my room. It sounded like a woman screaming, and it initially gave me goosebumps until I realized what it was. It sounded like the whistle of an old steam locomotive. I figured there must be a heritage railway around here somewhere, since the UK is full of them, but it was odd, as I wouldn't have thought they would run trains this late. I did remember seeing what I thought was a railway track on the other side of the field, near the resort, so it wasn't too out of the ordinary. I quickly forgot about it and made my way back to the fire, and by this point, a lot of the other students had paired off into impromptu couples of the night. Fortunately for me, Brooklyn was sitting by herself on a bench on the opposite side of the fire from most of the other kids. I sat back down next to her and tried to pluck up some courage to talk to her again after my previous failed attempt. She jumped a little as I said hi, as if she hadn't even noticed me sit down. I apologized for startling her and asked if she was okay. She didn't reply, but I could tell by the way she was looking at the guy across from her 
cuddled up with another girl, that she wished it was her over there. We talked for a little bit, and then I asked her if she wanted to take a walk. I had remembered the railroad track I had seen earlier, and figured it would be pretty romantic to get her out of there and watch the midnight freight trains roll by. She somewhat begrudgingly agreed. I don't think she really wanted to go, but I guess she wanted an excuse to not think about her crush and another girl together. It was awkward at first trying to keep the conversation going as we walked, but she started warming up to me gradually as the night went on. We found a spot to sit by the railroad tracks and soon there was a distinctive rumble of an approaching train, followed by the iconic two-tone air horn sound of British diesel locomotives. We sat there and watched the train slowly roll by, and just as the last car disappeared around the corner, the clouds in the sky completely cleared, revealing the brightest full moon I had ever seen. We sat for another hour, and no more trains passed by. Brooklyn then mentioned that she was cold, and I have to admit, the temperature had seemed to drop significantly after the clouds had cleared, so we began to get up, when she grabbed me and said, what was that? I listened, and far off in the distance, I heard the same shrieking noise I had heard earlier. I was about to brush it off and tell her it was just another train, when it struck me that it was almost 1 a.m. at this point. The first time I had heard it, it was only 9.30, but there was no way that a heritage railway was running a steam train this late into the night. I told her it was probably a coyote or something, even though I have no idea if they have those in this part of Scotland or not, and we began walking back along the tracks toward the road that led back to our resort. It was getting colder by the second, it seemed, which was really weird, as the weather had been so warm just an hour ago, and there wasn't a cloud in the sky to signal an impending storm. As we neared the embankments we had climbed down from the road earlier, I noticed that I could see my own breath in the night air. I turned to look at Brooklyn, and she had noticed the same thing I had. We had better get inside, I said. There's got to be some bad weather coming. Truthfully, I had no idea what was going on, but it was the only reasonable thing I could think to say. Then, the shrieking came again, and it was a lot closer this time. Brooklyn and I jumped and cowered together Scooby-Doo style for a second, which made us both chuckle a little bit at how on edge we were. Then, we heard what sounded like rapid, deep breathing approaching us from behind. I turned around and saw a white cloud of steam maybe 500 feet down the tracks behind us. Emerging out of it was a blue steam locomotive, pulling some extremely outdated-looking freight cars. I thought they didn't use steam trains anymore, Brooklyn said to me nervously. They don't, I quietly replied, while keeping my eyes fixed on the train. Even though there was a fence between us and the tracks, I felt like we needed to get farther away, but my morbid curiosity got the better of me, and I walked a little bit closer to the tracks. I figured it's a train. It's not like it can come off the tracks and hurt me, right? Brooklyn stayed farther back as I approached the fence. The train was approaching fast, and the sound was getting louder. It was a beautifully decorated blue locomotive with the letters CR painted on the tender 
on each side of what appeared to be some kind of coat of arms. It let out a deafening shriek, and the engineer waved his hat to us as the train passed by. We were also blasted with the coldest wind that we had ever felt, which made me finally retreat away from the train tracks. We began to run, since we were now freezing, and by the time Brooklyn and I made it back up the hill to the road, there was no sign of the train anymore, and the clouds were beginning to return as well as the warmth. When we got back to the resort, our tour guide was outside having a smoke. He asked us how our walk had been, and we decided not to mention the mysterious train, but we did mention that it had gotten cold when the clouds had cleared up. He looked at us funny, and said that it had been warm and overcast all night, as far as he had noticed. Brooklyn and I said goodnight and went to our rooms. I stayed up a little while longer on my laptop, trying to see if there were any local legends of ghost trains in the area. There were none, which didn't surprise me. It didn't really strike me as a ghost train, though, as the only peculiar thing about it was that it was so outdated and the sudden cold snap as it passed by. From my research, I did uncover that CR stood for Caledonian Railway and that the engine I had seen was an 812 class, which were built in the late 1800s and were used in the region up until the 1960s. These locomotives were actually the basis for the characters of Donald and Douglas from the Thomas the Tank Engine TV show, and one of them, number 828, actually has survived into preservation and been restored to working condition. I don't think the restored engine is what I saw that night, though. I doubt it would have been running that late at night, and also number 828 was supposedly in England at that time, according to Wikipedia. Plus, even if it was number 828, that still doesn't explain the cold snap it seemed to bring with it. I'm not one to jump to conclusions, but I believe that what we saw that night was not from this world. I know that sounds insane, and trust me, it is, but I can't think of any other explanation. It wasn't transparent or spooky-looking, or anything like what you would expect a ghost to look like. It looked exactly like how I would imagine it had looked when it was still in service. So real and normal-looking, yet also very unsettling by its mere presence outside of its time period. I don't believe that the train or its crew had any malicious intent as the engineer seemed rather friendly as he waved to us. I believe it might be the spirits of the old railway men who used to ride on these rails back when the steam power still ruled the world. Brooklyn just pretended the whole night never happened. I don't think it was out of fear of the possible ghost encounter, but rather to stop rumors of us hooking up from spreading. Her and I did talk about it the next morning in private, and she did admit to me that she had heard the whistle shrieking again while she was lying in bed. I was unsuccessful in getting her number though, so after we got back to Canada, I never saw her again, even though we only lived 30 minutes apart. So if you're ever in Scotland near a railway line at night, and the clouds suddenly part, and the temperature starts to fall, be on the lookout for a blue Caledonian steam locomotive and its crew as they ride on into the night, delivering their cargo to a destination likely beyond our world.